0: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored well hello and welcome to tfm's local books and comic show for star trek and i'm just one of the hosts matthew rushing and so excited coming at me all the way from the ocean when the middle of the ocean on an island the one and only casey pettit that's that's how dedicated he is folks
1: yes i you know i i go a quarter away around the world, and I'm still here. Yes, I am recording from <laughs> sunny, windy Maui, and uh, I think the only other time I've recorded not from home was when we did our first contact-making of book. I think it was in Vermont, so I just travel far and wide for, for this.
0: That's fantastic. Well, we're excited to be here today as we are going to be uh, talking to Derek Tyler Attico about his autobiography of Benjamin Sisko. Find none other than Jake Sisko with him as editor. Uh, but before we dive into that, we've got some news items here. We've got a couple of comics to talk about. Uh, But before we even get to that, we want to thank everybody for listening. We really appreciate it, and we do hope that uh, wherever you are listening, you're subscribed, and that way you'll get all of the episodes of Literary Treks as soon as we get them out to you. You'll get them as soon as they drop. Uh, You can also uh, interact with us and share us with your friends on social media or on Twitter or X at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're on Instagram at trek.fm. You, of course, find the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference um, as we discuss things with listeners from all over the world. Uh, so you can join that. And you can also find us at trek.fm as well online. You can also... Help us out with patreon um, patreon is a way to be able to support the network and make sure that the shows that we're doing keep coming to you uh, you've got uh, wonderful associate producers there over on patreon for literary treks casey pettit as well as greg rosier and we do really appreciate them supporting us so go over to patreon.com slash trek fm and you too can become part of the team and make sure that all this wonderful content keeps coming to you so with all that said, Casey, uh, we've got a couple of comics today uh, before we dive into our feature. And one of them is uh, Defiant number nine, which is no longer kind of a transitionary uh, issue coming off of the Day of Blood. This is really digging into this next mission of this Defiant crew, uh, which. Very unique mission uh, for a crew of the Defiant in the first place. Yeah, this is
1: really when we're starting to get into this story. And, and even then I feel like we're still kind of building up to something big because we get, um, you know, in the last issue, we were kind of teased with some of the characters. We're going to start bringing back. And this issue really is the first one. And, you know, it's got a really cool cover on it. You can see the uh, wharf with his uh, batlet there, and you can see a reflection of, of Hugh in the, in the batleth. And, um, it was, it's just kind of fun to see Hugh back again, um, you know, for, and, and a, he really fits in this story, I think, and I'm really curious to see where he's going to go because he's kind of just another misfit, you know, he's kind of a misfit Borg, just like we've got some kind of misfit crew on the Defiant here. And so, um, you know, n- not a tremendous amount happens, but we do get, you know, some, we get a little bit of action, um, you know, with some uh returning technology from the original series, but um you know it's uh not not so much a transition anymore, but it's uh an interesting way to start the the new little mini series here,
0: yeah, this one feels like you know the foundational issue really as we kick off uh this new mission for the defiant of being basically uh, Starfleet's bounty hunters uh of their most wanted. Um, and, of course, as you mentioned, the first one they're going after is Hugh, and the reason they're interested in him is is uh, because of his ability to uh, disconnect uh, from, you know, the Borg collective, and it's something that, of course, uh, is very interesting to Starfleet and them wanting to study. And so, uh, and like you mentioned as well, you know, we end with uh, – him as a character kind of joining uh, the Defiant. And so, you know, now we have six and that's a, a really interesting thing. And and then on top of that, kind of what they've been utilizing, you know, this character that shows up from the original series and how they've been using that uh, in their mission to uh, free more people from the Borg. Very interesting. And so, um, I, again like you said there's some action and i think there's uh, there's also some allusions to even things coming down the pipeline of course with the supernova that'll be happening um relatively soon it seems like from spock's preoccupation um for for romulus um and all of those type of things so it this really does again it just kind of feels like a foundational episode uh and or issue really for uh, the, the arc that we're going to be on here for it, I'm guessing now that this be the first part. So, you know, maybe uh, the the next um, four issues then. And so um, and just kind of setting, you know, with a stage of, of where this series might go. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking, though. As I was reading this, it just made me wonder a little bit how long the the series The Defiant might last in general uh, because it doesn't feel like a series you could do indefinitely.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that because it's, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of Starfleet characters and then now we're, you know, we've got our Orion character, but now we're bringing on Hugh and, you know, a whole new cast of characters, really. Um, but having them having, quote-unquote, stolen The Defiant, although, you know, they are technically working for for Starfleet here, but it's kind of that um you know plausible deniability on the part of Starfleet for you know they're almost like a rogue section thirty one it's like section thirty one point five or something <laughs> and they, <laughs> i love that um it is just just a little bit more um legit than section thirty one maybe but um yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different stories they could do with this, but i yeah, I think it it won't take very long before i think it kind of gets old and they start having to do um some very different things or spinning off something else completely or just reabsorbing it back into the ongoing series
0: well and it it just the the whole thrust of the series you know it's something that worf talks to to spock about was just the idea of you know basically he would long for you know starfleet to give him the defiant legitimately you know as its captain and so I mean, it almost feels like that's the end game here of, uh, you know, Worf kind of paying his dues in this uh, to to earn a captaincy. So I could see that being where this ends up. Um, also, too, I mean, just th- this can't seem to run indefinitely when you have characters like a B'Elanna Torres here. Um, and split away from her husband and her child for too long. Uh, that seems to get a little bit, you know, silly to me. So um, the the next issue we have is uh, Picard's Academy Part 2 uh, or Issue 2. And um, I'm really interested to hear, you know, your thoughts on this because, you know, neither of us was, was too enamored uh, with the first issue and I wonder if this did anything to alleviate that for you, if it just kind of continued to be somewhat of the same.
1: Yeah, I I really hate to say it, but this is not really hitting much of a stride for me. It's an interesting concept, but I feel like the character Picard in this series is not even who we think we would have known from the series like just from the bits that we got in the episode Tapestry. Um and and even there's there's clearly some connection here to Star Trek Picard, but I mean I don't know, some of, some of the ways like his father's portrayed, they kind of like, don't really talk about his mom, which I guess you could say kind of fits, but I don't know. It's, it's just very loosely held to the show that it seems to be based on. And he seems so out of character. And even, you know, Spock is heavily featured in this one. And even him, I feel like I I see what they were trying to do with him in this, in this issue. But, um, it just, I don't know. I, I really hate to say it, but it's really not working for me.
0: I, I have a question for you. I mean, so if I'm remembering my next generation history, they don't actually meet until unification.
1: That's a good point that I hadn't thought of. Um Well, I don't know, because he did say in the episode Sarek that he was at Spock's wedding. Or, well, he says your son's wedding. We all assume it's Mm, Spock. Okay. um,
0: Yeah, I could not remember. I guess
1: I don't remember unification that well.
0: I just couldn't remember if they had met or not um, at that point. And so it it just did kind of seemed a little bit, you know, strange for them to cross paths here. But like you said, if, if, um, you know, that was the case then most likely, um, you know, they're, you're not talking about sub cyborg at that point. Uh, and so, <laughs> because cyborg's dead, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I couldn't disagree with anything you said though. I, it, it does just kind of feel like a very, um, strange series. It, it feels like a strange character to kind of be doing this, um, almost uh, I don't know it just feels so modern and it just is like you said, it's just not working for me either. I just don't find myself enjoying it, and um, I think the idea of discussing uh, Picard as a you know cadet and at starfleet academy is is really interesting. Um, I just wish that um, you know there was uh a way for um this to to kind of just seem like it jives better um with star trek as well as the character of picard so uh unfortunately it just doesn't feel like the case but you know uh casey i I feel like i hear an, an orb ringing um so maybe it's time we head over to our feature and catch up with derek sounds good both you and I, uh, on the other side of the page, have been like so excited about uh, having a Derek Tyler Attico on the show because we've been so excited about this book coming out—the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko. And so, Derek, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you, thank you for having me, Matthew and Casey. I really appreciate it. Autobiography of Benjamin Sisko. Um, no, really. Um, it's a pleasure. Being here, um, I'm I'm really excited to talk to both of you, and and thank you so much for having me on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, um, just so everybody knows, too, uh, we have both read the book, and we are gonna just we're gonna spoil everything. So, if you haven't read the book, you need to make sure to do that uh, because there are actually spoilers right at the beginning of the book. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> there wasn't really a way to do this no spoilers. So. Speaking of that, Derek, the framing device of this book, um, talk about using that, because I think everybody's question kind of coming into this, how are we going to handle Cisco now
2: that he's ascended to the Celestial Temple? That's a great question, Matthew. And I think, I think, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was the framing device that may have gotten me to gig. Um, I, I have been thinking about... Well, you know, when I when I have been reading the autobiography um, line by Titan Books, which is just a phenomenal line, right? I mean, they're they're written so well. Um, I started with um, Catherine Janeway's by Una McCormick, and then I went back and was reading. I'm like, oh, man, these are good. How would I ever do a Cisco book if I ever got it? Because, you know, that's never going to happen. But if it ever happened, <laughs> how would I get a Cisco book? And... and and um lo and behold, it came down the, the pike. And um George Sanderson, the managing editor of Titan, uh, we had a, a a meeting. Um, they had read my um Deep Space Nine uh Cisco or uh, Benny Russell story for um the 50th anniversary of of Star Trek and when they brought back Strange New Worlds. They liked that and they thought I would be a good fit for the Cisco autobiography. Um, But the question was, how do you bring him back, right? And I said, well, you know, um, initially George had the idea, um, and I guess not necessarily also George, but Titan had the idea of doing it through Jake writing his novel Anselm, which he writes in canon, which is like an autobiography of Jake, but also we could do where it's an autobiography of Ben as well. And I think that's a great idea, just for the record. I think it's a great idea. I think at some point someone should do that. But all the other autobiographies were captains in their voices, you know? And I was like, you know, there's a way for us to do it where it's still Ben speaking. It's still Ben's voice, where we still get Ben. And so I said, you know, he can still speak to us through and from the wormhole, he can still do that because he's now part prophet, you know, so we can we can do that. And, you know, he just has to send something to Jake. And the big crux of, uh, and what really excited me of, of, of this autobiography is that for me, it's not so much an autobiography as it is a father just talking to his son. And in doing that, and in telling his life, it becomes an autobiography for all of us to, to read. But, you know, my focus the whole time was, it's not so much an autobiography. It's a man telling, you know, and a father talking about his life to his kid because he can't be with his kid right now. So he's trying to impart his life and, and through his life messages to his kid, you know, and in doing that, you talk about your life, that's the autobiography, you know? And so, then I was like, "Well, how am I going to do that?" And then it was like, "Well, you know, I, I I'm really fluent in track and track, what they call um techno babble." And I was like, "Yeah, it has to be on Beam and all that, and you know." And then that was really exciting, hopefully an exciting opening. And uh, the last three people we saw on the last episode of Deep Space Nine was we saw Kira, and Nog walked into what was now her office. Mm-hmm talking to her, and then she walks the station, and she's with Jake. So it's the last three people are we see on Deep Space Nine, and I wanted that to be the first three people mm. that we meet in the book to, you know, even not necessarily consciously, but to kind of bridge that, you know? So we start with Nog, and then we go to Kira, and then it's Jake writing that intro, so.
0: I think that's the... Th- the- the thing that really struck me and um, why this immediately felt like it fit within Deep Space Nine is because, you know, Deep Space Nine is so much a story about a father and a son. You know, and Avery right. made sure of that. You know, he was he was very keen for that to be the case. You know, of course, Siroc was as much his son as, as could be in the fir- you know, the way that he treated him and the relationship they had. And so by continuing that, um, it it felt right.
2: Yeah. 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 I, 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 I thought a lot about, you know, I mean, there were a lot of different ideas I had and, um, you know, and I was like, Oh, I could do it this way. I could do it that way. But I was like, uh, you know, it's gotta be about a father and a son at, at, at its core. Everything else is trimming, you know, everything else is, I mean, that's how I felt. Um, because that's what I, I mean, that's what I cared about. I think, and I think ultimately that's what the, star trek fan and the reader would care about and and i i wanted the book to be i intentionally wrote it so that someone that didn't have a a huge familiarity with star trek or deep space nine could come to it also because i'm aware that you know a, a lot of people i've interviewed a lot of people for for trek magazine I, i've been around Trek a long time sometimes we watch Trek as kids and we don't come back to it until we're full grown adults, you know? So with that in mind, you know, a lot of this, you don't necessarily have to know every little detail about, you know, you don't have to know every little detail, but all you have to do is understand relationships and people, you know, and that will carry you through, you know, or hopefully, you know, carry you through, you know, you know,
1: and a huge portion of this was about, I mean, obviously about his family and his upbringing and everything and, and how close he was with his parents and his grandparents. And, right. um, you know, what, um, I, I kind of, I guess what led you to, Uh, making his family kind of a a homeschooling family almost they're almost luddite you know in nature like that he didn't even discover the transporter until he was you know (laughs) adolescent or you know teenager or something and um you know why why that and keeping new orleans
2: so grounded uh in kind of the old school i guess yeah that's that's a great question um casey that's a great question um well two two reasons um one is uh, Benjamin Sisko is such a balanced character, you know, and part of my challenge was this man is so balanced when we meet him. I mean, he has, when we meet him, he has um, the trauma of his, of the murder of his wife. But once he gets over that, we have a pretty balanced captain. You know, he has the work life balance. He, you know, he treats his people good. You know, he's a father. I'm like, where did all that come from? You know, where where did he get that from? So my job was to kind of reverse engineer all that and look backwards and say, where does that all come from? And think about what the the, standing on the shoulders of of the writers of Deep Space Nine, which left me a plethora of great material and think about, you know, how to reverse engineer that. And then in writing his autobiography, you know, I'm not just writing his, I'm writing his families, I'm writing... A biography of New Orleans. I'm writing, you know, Joseph's. You know, his father's, and Joseph is a unique character in Star Trek because, you know, he doesn't like the transporters. He doesn't like replicators. He doesn't like these things. He doesn't. He, he, you know, he, he he doesn't gravitate to those things. And I thought a lot about that, and I was like, well, why doesn't he? You know. It, it may have been uh, interesting to see on screen, but to, to if I didn't explain that, then Joseph starts to become a caricature in the book. If I just continue that theme, but without explaining it, it's like, well, why? Right? You know? And so I have to explain that. And so then that really opened up New Orleans for me. That opened up um, a, a way to talk about um, the African-American experience you know and joseph has a certain amount of trauma that his family is is holding you know from more than 4 500 years you know so uh, you know and and ben has to kind of break that trauma you know by saying i'm i'm leaving earth you know and so there's a lot that i thought about and i and i used the characters that were beautifully created you know um and try to reverse engineer them to give me answers and look at them and ways that I thought that would unfold organically in the in the autobiography. I hope that answers the, the question. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's great because it, you know, as you were writing the book, and I can just sense this is because as I was reading it, I was thinking, this just makes so much sense that there would be places on Earth that would um because, you know, Earth has become this. You know, metropolis for the universe because of Starfleet that would hold on specifically to very, you know, human things. Right. And so to have, um, you know, New Orleans be one of those cities, I felt felt very authentic, you know, to New Orleans you know, you could imagine um, different cities. You know, uh, in say uh, maybe like a Japan doing the same thing, or a China, or you know, somewhere in Europe, really kind of holding on to those you know very specific European things. You know, so you can really feel like why this would be the case that there would be people who would not want to forget Earth history and Earth culture um, because. Um, and and that there would be cities that would be dedicated to that because they felt very strongly about it, and you didn't want to lose that part of your identity, um, even though you were a part of this grander identity. You know, it is the Starfleet or the Federation or any of those things.
2: Right, right, and it's, it's, you're you're exactly right, and and you know, I think with with Star Trek, what we've seen a lot is we've seen a lot of Star Trek uh, from the point of view. Of, the, of course, the Federation, uh, Starfleet, and we've seen a lot of the clean lines, a lot of the newness, a lot of the technology, you know, and um, just thinking about this. First of all, I've never been to New Orleans, so I had to do like my first two weeks before writing anything. I just sat and I, I uh, watched some documentaries on, on New Orleans. I, I like documentaries. I, I, I read a couple books. I watched um, the HBO show Treme which Was is a phenomenal show, and and really gave me some insights, you know. And so I started thinking about, um, and it's funny you mentioned Japan, cause I thought about Japan as well. I did think about China, I thought about places that that were deeply rooted in in human culture, and and New Orleans is one of those, Louisiana is one of those, but also what's interesting about new orleans is that you know it's basically even well even today but today i'm thinking of like the future it's a it's a service industry town you know a lot of it is is that's how its economy how its economy grows and so what happens when that just all pivots and money is not used anymore when you have replicators and holodecks and you say you know you don't need gumbo you don't need these things anymore and people have been doing this, you know, and their families have been doing this. And all of this culture is just, these people aren't going to let go of those things. You know, mm-hmm. we don't let go of it yeah. in our own families. You know, I, you know, my mom, I, I I buy my mom an iPad. She's like, yeah, that's nice. And then she still watches, you know, her TV. that She's had for years, you know, <laughs> people don't do that. That's not the human experience. You know, the human experience, is we gradually do these things, you know? And so I'm trying to, the beautiful thing about Star Trek is that it's always felt real to me. And I think it's real to show that some people are just going to say, nah, no thanks, you know? And, and I think a, a fair humanity and a fair human government would be like, okay, you know, we're not going to force you, you know, okay, you know? And in that, find that in that preservation, that's a beautiful thing. That's not a bad thing, you know? And and that's why I think New Orleans, we, when we see it, you know, those clips that, of it, when we see it on Deep Space Nine, you know, it still has that. We still have that, you know? And and, and then that helped me when it came to write, writing jazz in the book and talking about jazz, it all started to unfold and make a lot of sense. You know? Yeah,
0: I think uh, that I... I was thinking about how well you had done this because it, you know, connects very well to who Dr. McCoy is as a character because basically he's kind of a representation of that attitude in some ways. Like he's begrudgingly part of Starfleet, you know, he's begrudgingly, you know, but he still likes his real bourbon, you know. He still likes his real alcohol. Forget that synthahol crap, you know. Um, And there are a few characters, I mean, Scotty's one of those characters too in in the original series, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so... And this i think it this was an, an, a great um understanding of and it and when you were talking about the idea of like figuring out why Cisco is such a kind of balanced person who is also kind of able to in many ways i think come in and accept the situation as it is on Bajor but also trying to make it better like this is the type of person who would be able to do that because yeah, he spent most of his life without the major modern conveniences. And so you send this dude that's got that personality to Bajor.
2: Right. That's exactly. And that's why I spent so long in his childhood and in that, because I, I I was, I was thinking, I was thinking, well, you know, in my head, I was thinking the book will be like, in, it it does have like three acts, you know, it has the, uh, the New Orleans childhood, you know, that, that whole part. And then he goes to Starfleet, but, but the, the New Orleans, the, the whole family section carries through to Starfleet and everything he learns there takes him to Starfleet. And then for the second act, and then for, and then everything he learns at home and in Starfleet carries him through into the third act as an officer, but that's like our lives, right? I mean, hopefully we, we grow on this curve, you know? I mean, and and there are, you know, there there are hills and valleys, but we, hopefully we have this slope that goes, you know, that goes up and that's what I wanted for him, you know? And and I also thought a lot, a lot about Gene Roddenberry. I, I know, you know, this wasn't something that he approved and he wasn't around for, you know, but I always felt that, um, Ira Stephen Bear and and all the writers were very, very respectful to the premise of Star Trek and the idea of Star Trek and what Gene Roddenberry set forth. And I felt I could do no less, you know, so I thought a lot about what Gene Roddenberry intended. And you're right, like with McCoy, McCoy rooted us in the real so that we could have the fantastic, you know, And that was the beauty of of that triumvirate of those three characters of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, right? Because McCoy always pulled, even, you know, pulled Kirk back every now and then sometimes Spock and he would challenge him, but he would always root us. And so um, I needed that, that New Orleans and I needed Joseph to kind of root us. Um, And then, you know, Ben has that confrontation with his father where he's like, yeah, I, I I've learned everything you taught me, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay. And so we get to see Joseph's trauma, you know, and how that's held him back. And you know, because he doesn't even leave Earth, I think, until like uh, somewhere like around fifth or sixth season of the show, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is like the first time he said he's left Earth and come to visit him on Deep Space Nine. And you think about, and I thought about that, and I was like, he's never really left Earth not you know really and i was like wow man that's that's huge in the 24th century for someone that has that ability to just go and never does so you know i I, it all had to make sense you know so that's why i wrapped it all in like that yeah
1: i felt like too i mean even when they went to starfleet academy like and his parents were visiting and i mean i got like by by that point i had this impression that even joseph had really used transporters i mean he preferred ground cars and or, or the hover cars right. or electric cars uh you know and like right. um you know so when he goes to visit starfleet academy he, he's kind of begrudgingly taking the transporter because it's you know so far away <laughs> right
2: right right. you know yeah I, I had to move i had to slowly get joseph moving to the to little, to little things you know like the family trips and and stuff like that um and it's interesting, you know, it's, it's 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 as much as it's Ben's story, it's other characters is their story as well, because um, you see how Joseph was more outgoing with his family while his family was there. But then you can look now, you can see that Joseph just stayed after events in his life, you know, after his wife's death and stuff. You know, he never left. Right. You know, and. So certain events make sense for him as well, too.
1: And one of the things that I I was really enjoying, too, about this is during, especially during his, his Starfleet Academy years, there was and I messaged uh, Matthew about this while we were both reading it, but there's a lot of like cameos in the book or a lot of, a lot of names that come up that I kept having to be like, boy, I recognize that name and kind of go look it up and be like, Oh, that's right. And it'd be like somebody we've seen before, but you know, could you talk us kind of through your process of like finding those characters, the ones that were kind of there at the right time, whether it was Trila Scott or, you know, Jordy that shows up at one point, Um, you know, kind of how, you know, that that must have been really fun to be able to find a way to bring these characters
2: in. Yeah. Um. Sorry for the New York sirens. Um. Yeah. I, I've I've always wanted to write Traylor Scott into something. Um. I love the character. Um. I think it's a a character who was never really fully utilized. You know, she was, and the actress that played her really played her to the hilt. You know, and she was like a one and done. And I, was, uh, you know, and so I was um. Before I wrote the outline for the for the book, um, I had a I had about a few days to think about what I wanted to put in the outline. Because I knew once the outline is written and improved, you know, those were my guardrails. I couldn't really deviate. So I would spend like hours in the shower. My girlfriend's like, What are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm in the shower, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And and I was like, you know, I, I think the timelines line up. I think I can put Trila in the book. And then once I started, you know, Memory Alpha, which we all love, and I (laughs) went to Memory Alpha, and I started looking, and I had, you know, I really made sure that the timelines matched up, and I was like, well, I can really do something, and do even more than I thought I could do, um, and just use her, and have her impart certain things to him, you know, and also get to tell her story at that same time. So, you know, it, it this, this book is his story, of course, but it touches on people and you get to see moments in other people's lives, you know, and you get to understand, hopefully, those individuals as they come in and out of his life, just like our life, you know, when a person comes into our life, it's not always, it's not, sometimes we think it's going to be permanent, you know, we think it's going to be forever and it ain't, but sometimes during the time they were here, they give us something or we give them something. And that was the reason, at least that's what I believe. That's what that was the reason they were here was for us to give something to them or them to give, you know, something to us. And so that's what I, you know, that's what I that's what I did. Um and, and just to answer the question of like, you know, was she still around? Was she still like alive and all that? I I wanted to like kind of answer that question. Um and then for other people, you know, there would be times I'd be writing two, three in the morning, and I'm like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I could do this. You know, Kaczynski. Oh, yeah. I never liked that guy. It's <laughs> you know, you know, right. you know, great moment. You know, this is a great guy. I, I think I was, because, um, you know, it's really weird. Like, I, I really didn't watch any of Deep Space Nine. You know, once I, I would watch it a little bit to get, like, Ben's voice. And I watched Pale Moonlight. But after that, I, I just really didn't watch it. But I'm used to watching Trek. So Trek would be on in the background. And I think the, the the traveler episode of Next Gen was on. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's Kaczynski. Wait a minute. This is that timeline. Can I can I fit Kaczynski? You know, can <laughs> I can I get him in? And and then, you know, it comes it's, it's like if you're gonna put someone in, you don't wanna just have them walk across the screen. You want it to be something that is. Respectful to that character and makes sense and is congruent with that character, even if it's for a moment. You know, that's what I I come from a film background. So if a person's going to be on screen, then it has to be congruent and has to be meaningful for that character, right? So I was like, and that what I wrote for Kaczynski is in line with Kaczynski. You know, it it, it it's in line with the character. You know, um, um. So yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And then going down the line and and thinking of people and writing people um data was was really a fun one um um Jordy, uh that was a really a fun um that was really a fun uh chapter or or scene um I wrote that I think I wrote that after mostly everything was done and I just wanted something a little bit extra and it was originally supposed to be um Janeway actually Jordy. And Rike, I realized there was a time where Janeway, Jordy, and Riker, were and Ben were all at the academy, like for one year. And I was like, "Oh, the Crisis Protocol, I could, I could do that," you know. Um, but then we talked about it, um, Titan and CBS was like, "Ah, that's that's a little too much to put all of those people, um, in that same room," you know. And I, I was like, "You know what? They're right. I, I agreed with that." So we rolled it back and it was just jordy um but i think it's a it's a nice cameo for jordy yeah. you know so
1: and there's no saying that those other people weren't in the room they just weren't featured in the in ben's and it, story right and <laughs> it's just right.
2: right well that he didn't run into them in the academy um it's just not shown you know not told so, um and then somebody unlike the other cameos they the ones that you know they, they made sense you know um shelby made sense um Uh, you know, I tried, it had to make sense. It wasn't just like you're throwing somebody in, everything had to make sense. So everybody I put in, um, made, made sense, you know?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think you did a great job with that, you know, like you were even talking about just, uh, Okay. Oh, that that's going to be too much, right? Uh, so we just scale it back, and it's just Geordi, and so that, but that really, you know, comes to life in it, and I think it feels, you know, very real. Um, uh, one of the things too, you know, with we dive so much into his early life, which is so important. You know, we were talking Casey and I, the fact that you know, Deep Space Nine is one of the most detailed of all the shows and what we end up knowing about characters, and yet you know, with Ben, there's, we we still only have a a basic outline. And so I was really interested, you know, to hear what it was like then to fill in his early career, because we only kind of know, you know, scant information, kind of the bullet points of that. So I'd love to hear just about getting to to tell the stories of what his early career was like.
2: Yeah, that, that, that was an interesting one, Matthew, because you know, again, he, he's a challenge to write. It's it's in a way, it's easier to write characters that have problems because then you can create the traumas, you know. Um, but when someone comes to you ready-made, then it's like, well, what do I do with this? You know? Um, so in his in in creating his his early career, um I just started to touch on, I think once I I really, um, the, the characters also helped me because once I I really came upon Trila in the book, I, this idea of Ben not seeing his own potential, you know, and not seeing what everyone else sees, you know, is really interesting because it's impossible to not see that in Avery Brooks when we see that first episode right image 1 minute 1 you see it but to think that as a young man he didn't see it it kind of makes sense because that's not where he was going that's not the tra- the trajectory you know so i was like oh wait a minute he was he was going to be an engineer he wasn't even thinking about the command track he wasn't thinking about that you know so that's what helped me to go along that line where everybody else is seeing <laughs> this persona that just needs a little bit to go, but he doesn't see it. You know,
1: seems like that's the way a lot of us are. It's just that, you know, we, we have, we set ourselves on a path and then everyone else is kind of like, what are they doing with their life? They, they could be doing this other thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, right, and I think right. that
0: that was a, it, to me, I love the way that in some ways that kind of ties to the way he was brought up. Which is this kind of very hardworking, humble upbringing, and therefore, I, I think that's what creates in Cisco this inability to kind of see that because he's not looking at himself more than he ought. You know, he, right. he's he's not trying to make himself bigger or cooler or any of those things. Like he just he's he's a very honest character, like you we were kind of talking about, and it and it takes others basically to thrust authority onto him which is i think one of the things that makes him in many ways one of the most unique captains of of star trek in the sense that he he didn't necessarily seek out captaincy that's what he was looking for at the beginning he wasn't even looking to be you know a leader um and 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 it makes it really interesting then of course when you know in season four Worf comes onto the show and then he has you know command thrust upon him and right. so I really appreciated that. I thought that you did such a great job of of working through that early career to get Cisco from point A of being an engineer to be on the command track, even though that's not where he thought he wanted to go until like he realized, no, this really is my calling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. and And also I was thinking about, I mean, you're exactly right, but also I was thinking about that self-confidence doesn't come from being a captain. It just comes from him having lived his life. So when he does step into the captaincy, it's more about him understanding and knowing who he is than anything else. That's where that core is all coming from, you know? And I think, and I think that's what makes a, a, a real strong captain. Like Kirk has that Kirk, you know, whether he's a captain or not, he's still Kirk. Right. And that's what I that's what I wanted. Whether he's a captain or not, he's always been, you know, Ben's always been a captain. You know, Kirk has always been a captain. These people are always captains. It's that individual. They just get the title. And and so I wanted to to show that, you know, his upbringing. And by the time he gets it, by the time like once he's done with the academy and I think he, start, he meets Curzon, and Kurzan starts to bump against him. You start to see, you know, when he starts to, like, go against Kurzan you start to see that the, the bend that we know, I think, starts to come out a lot more in the book, hopefully, you know.
0: That's uh, – when you bringing that up, I, I would love for you to kind of talk about that because I thought the way that you handled his relationship with Kurzan was really well done because we know – from everything in these Space Nine, you know, Curzon had a lot of faults and yet he and Ben <laughs> still end up being such good friends. And so I'd love to hear you talk about kind of walking that tightrope line of writing this, you know, really difficult character to write in many ways.
2: Yeah, it was. You're right. It was very difficult to write. And uh, when I got to the Curzon uh, chapter, I was like, OK, what am I going to what am I going to do? And I was like, well, you know, it's Curzon, right? It's Curzon and Curzon's not a bad guy. He's just, he's just, you really, he, you really have to, we've seen in the show with Curzon that he, you have to make him respect you. You know, he's the kind of, and and I, I know people like that in my own life where, where, and I know people like that, that, that um, have been to war. I have, I have a, a, a friend of mine this guy known for a long time, and our, our age groups are really um, different. Um, this guy's a Vietnam vet, and and so he, you know, he's experienced a lot more than I have, and his attitude is, well, you know, people have to prove to me that they earn that they they are deserving of my respect, and whether that's right or wrong, that's his point of view, and I felt a lot of the same thing is going on in. Curazon's head, you know, right or wrong, you have to prove to me. And I'm gonna walk all over you until you prove it to me. And once I once I had that, and I was like, all right, Curazon's gonna walk all, all over him. You know, and so he had to step up. And that was one of the first times that Ben is really, really it's like, oh wow, am I really gonna, you know, have to do this with this guy? Because you know, this guy is he's he's you know, I, I'm a subordinate to him. Um, but I think the way Ben handles it is, is, uh, is really well. And, um, once Curzon sees that he can't get one over on this kid immediately, it flips and it switches and you can see the respect start to happen between the two of them. And we learn why Curzon is, you know, why he, they call each other the old, why he calls him the old man. And from there, I think it really starts to to pick up and Ben starts to come into his own at that point, you know?
1: we had a lot of other characters too. Like I, I loved seeing there, there was actually a couple scenes that stood out to me too, with, um, uh, with Jennifer and it, it was his first meeting. And then, I mean, even before that, finding out who George is, you know, and who, who he was <laughs> right. to them. But, um, but then also seeing um, the scene on, on the uh, Saratoga during Wolf 359, but seeing them really for the first time from the perspective as they actually happened, like from Ben's, memory rather than from the the prophet's recreation i guess uh you know as as they're trying to to show him and and tell him that he lives there but you know so i I really enjoyed getting the context around that um and then even further than that like you know again with all these callbacks but he he actually like um Talks to Jake about like how he came to pick his crew for Deep Space Nine, and like something I think that we never really thought of. Like I never really thought that like you know we we, we know that Bashir got to kind of he had his choice of assignments, but to really know that like Ben was the one that he picked Bashir for this, and he picked Gen right. Zia because of Kurzon, obviously. But you know each, each of these people he handpicked, um, I thought was uh, just a really. Great way to really add to what we already knew about the the characters and the story and everything and, and how everyone came to be here. It really just kind of
2: filled out everyone's story a lot better. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, that was interesting to do because I was thinking about, well, you know, why is Ben picking these particular people? I mean, obviously they're the best, and obviously you know, Cur- um, and and the whole and Dax and all that, but. Why is he picking these people? And, and um, uh, uh, at that, by that point, a lot of what I was doing, it was just, I, I was just um, in a certain zone because it was just clear to me, you know, everyone he's picking is single, you know, oh,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. and, you know, and that, that's, that's a factor that's, that's, that's he's thinking about, you know, because with 359 he's over, you know, he's over it, but it's, 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 but he's, but it's not and and, He's thinking about that, and you know, if if I if I have a command structure now and something goes off, you know, look at what just happened to me, and you know, and that's reality, right? You're going to be thinking about these things, so um, that that all came to play, you know, and he, of course he wants the best, but and then his his uh, experiences on, on Starbase One Three Seven, so that that plays into O'Brien, of course, um, you know, um, so all of that, all of that, yeah, I just started to to uh, by that point things started to really come together so i it was almost like it was a lot of things were like propelling and, and and writing themselves in regards to to jennifer it was really hard to come up with a vocation that i felt was believable and organic for jennifer because at first i was like oh she's going to be a teacher um no that's not good um she's gonna um be an architect. Oh, that's not good. And so it just didn't feel right. And and um I just still kept watching Emissary. And I realized that in the memory of her, she's wearing a blue bikini on a blue blanket at the beach. And then the only time he really talks about her is in this uh, last episode of second season, um Jem Hadar um, and and he's camping with, with Jake and and um and um Quark, and they're talking about how they all went water skiing. And He's like, Yeah, your mom taught you how to water ski. And I'm like, Wow, the only real pure memories of Jennifer are around water, you know. And I was like, Oh, oh, and it then it just you know, water, right? So she's a oceanographer, you know, and then. And then that opened up so much for me when I got that, you know, so.
1: Well, I mean, when you take that and then, you know, especially him going to space, her really with the ocean, I mean, you can't get a lot. I mean, they're very similar in some ways in the science, but like in other ways, they're they're worlds apart. Um, but to kind mm. of juxtapose that with his previous relationships where, you know, with Trila Scott, she was like, I, I can't be held back because of Starfleet. And then, you know, he had other relationships like that, too. And then to have him in a position where he's like, might have to make that decision again and luckily doesn't. But, you know, like he kind of has a pattern in his relationships like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot of parallels. I tried to put a lot of parallels in the book because – in my life and in life, there are parallels, you know, there are things that happen to me at at 10 and at 15 that I think about now that give me insights, you know, at the age I am now. And I think that's all of us. Right. So a lot of parallels and and um, all of that try to weave all of that in so you can look at the parallels between like, you know, Jennifer and Triler between you know between the you know, like you said his relationships and his friendships and all of those kind of things and, and say oh yeah i can see why this is all like that. you yeah.
0: one of the things that you give us an opportunity to get a glimpse at is his time in the celestial temple as you know he's telling this this story to Jake and he's sending this transmission he gets interrupted a couple of times and so I'd just kind of love to hear your thought process um, on that because, you know, that's a, a, the thing I think all fans are like, oh, you, what is it like to be in the Celestial Temple for, you know, Ben Sisko at this point? And so I would love to to hear you talk about just kind of crafting those scenes.
2: Yeah, man, that that was a little difficult, man. I mean, it was like, <laughs> what's it like to be in the Celestial Temple? And I was like, oh, my God, what's it like to be, you know? And so what's so what's so hard about that is everything we've watched on Deep Space Nine, we've watched it, right? So I'm like, how am I going to convey any of this, you know, um, in a book? You know, how am I going to do that? And so I'm like, all right, all right. So then I, I just really started thinking about it. And originally it was just um, going to happen once. But then I was like, you know, it, it could act it could actually I can actually do more than that. I can do it more than once. And then um the idea was, well, okay, it's a autobiography, so it's in first person, right? So if I break that, you know, if I break that and go to like third, you know if i if I just break it, then the reader will automatically be jarred and be like, well, this is not right. you know, what's happening, you know? And it'll it'll free me up to tell a different type of story, you know? And so once I realized that, I'm like, oh, yeah, because now I can tell a story within the story and you can actually take those instances and look at them individually or look at those just those in- instances. And they are telling a story, you know, so it's, it's, you know, and I'm, I'm asking and answering questions in those moments, in those nonlinear moments, as I, as I called them. Um, so yeah, but that was difficult to to do because it was like, and so, um, I didn't write them for the longest time. I wrote around them and everything. And it was like, where are you going to place them? And then when I got to, um, and I got back to the first one, I was like, oh, this is a good place. Cause I just was, I, I I was just writing, writing, writing about his life, his life, his life. And I said, the reader now is just so cemented in his life. Now it's a time to just throw a curve and be like, what? Did I miss a did I miss a chapter? Is something is something wrong with the book? Well, what's you know, what's <laughs> happening? And this is a great place to put that in. And and I, I think that worked uh worked well. Because it's just it's just like it's just dropped in and that's how it felt for him in the you know, in the in the celestial temple. It just happens, you know. So Well
1: and I mean too, if you think that, you know, if Jake Sisko is technically the one writing this, you know, he he's he's an author himself and right. Um, right. His, probably some understanding of what Ben's been through. I'm sure they've talked about it at some point, but also these are transmissions that are coming to Jake from Ben anyway. So he's getting some sort of, you know, visions himself, I'm sure as he's writing it. So, I mean, that, that's kind of, at least for, as I was reading it, kind of how I was interpreting that. Cause it like, it was jarring. Cause the first one doesn't happen for quite a while into the book. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it it does it, i had exactly the feeling that you were just describing i was kind of like wait what what just where am i okay so now i'm in a celestial temple but this is an autobiography so was, you know so it it i mean it it worked for you know what you were going for for sure
2: good yeah yeah and and um and right this is all also you know we're reviewing what what has been sent to jake so is jake writing it so you know and even jake says that there's some jarring stuff in here so yeah so yeah, there's there's a lot going on, you know, in this and and initially like in the last episode emissary, uh Ben never talks to Jake. He talks to Cassidy, right? Oh yeah. And he never speaks to Jake and you know that last pullback scene is Jake, you know, looking for his father. So I I wanted to kind of answer that where, you know, Ben as soon as he gets to the wormhole is sending this to Jake. But because he's now nonlinear himself, it doesn't get to Jake right away. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he's still working through... It's all new to him, so it doesn't get there to a year later. And then it takes two years for Jake to process the material that he's got. So, you know, so that explains things. And I'm trying to show that even though Ben is in this place, he's not a master of it. You know, things are still happening around him. So... Yeah.
0: What was it for, for you to kind of end the book with Benny Russell? Um, I, was, I, I, I loved that ending because it, it almost in many ways allows us all to pull out as just a reader as to why we enjoy Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And so w- was, was that what you were going for with, with ending with Benny?
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, and and um, um, one yes, uh, two, uh, there was nowhere else that I could put Benny Russell in the book. There's just there's nowhere else I could put it, and and then um, before before doing the uh, outline, I was like, yeah, yeah, the end, you know. So the book has. It has three beginnings and it has two endings, right? Because it has the, the Nog opening, then it has the Jake opening, and then it has Ben's opening. So it has three beginnings. And then, you know, Ben ends it, but then Benny ends it as well. And so in doing that, I am saying to the reader, I mean, it's a little meta, but I'm saying to the reader, you know, that there are things that I want... Hopefully, the reader to think about not just what they've read, but about Star Trek and the why we all why why it's still here. You know, I mean, it's here because it's it's a, it's really well written and it's a great show and it's and it's great effects. But it's more than that because there are other stuff that has come and gone. And Star Trek means a lot to a lot of people. I've interviewed people, like I said, for Star Trek magazine and. Everyone tells me the same thing. Oh, I watched it with my dad. We didn't speak before that, but we we would watch it every you know every week. Um, oh, you know they would always come back to family and personal stories, and so it there was there was no way I could not end it in that way. You know,
1: well, and it gives it gives hope to the Benny storyline story as well because you know in in Far Beyond the Stars he's a struggling writer and you know, can't get himself published. Nobody wants to buy this Deep Space Nine story. And then with your story here, we're ending with Benny Russell on the 30th anniversary of the publication of his story, which I mean, obviously, you know, uh, parallels with, you know, 30 year an- anniversary of our <laughs> right. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But it's it's really cool then to like think about the Benny character a- as, as a success, a successful writer, you know, later in life right. too.
2: Right, right, right. He's much older, but you know he's he's been he's still cracking at it and he's still stuck with it. Yeah. You know, so there's it's a lot to say. There's a lot going on. Um, even in that one page. You know, like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know that was the, that was the, the intent. That was the intent. I'm I'm glad that I conveyed in that page. You know.
0: No, I I think it worked, and you know it 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 left me in a place where, you know, as a huge fan of Deep Space Nine. It gave voice, you know, to how I felt as the fan, you know, and I, I thought that that really worked. So I got a, one question that's just kind of been percolating in my mind. It, and I thought this might be kind of a fun one to, to end on, but like, obviously you don't get the opportunity to bring Cisco back from the Celestial Temple. Um, and so just for you as an author, would that be something you would want to be able to do one day? And, and is it something we, you would even want to see, um, or, or do you think it's just a story that's better left untold actually?
2: Uh, well, honestly, um, I, I know that, uh, in Trek literature, he was, he was brought back, you know, he, he came back from the celestial temple, um. If 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 Benjamin Sisko ever came back, um, I would love to see it on screen. You know, because that's the place to happen to, for me. If it if it doesn't happen on screen, um, it isn't at this point for me personally. It doesn't have to necessarily happen on screen, uh, but I do think there are still questions that need to be answered on screen. You know. Um, What's going on with Deep Space Nine? And we, we kind of got a little bit out of that with Lower Decks, but what's going on with, with Deep Space Nine? Um what about Jake? You know, Jake is 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 50% profit. What's going on with Jake? You know, these are things that I want to know. Um, these are things that um I think uh sh- can and should be asked and answered. Um but I know Irish Stephen Bear says that you know he feels that the the uh, I started to say Benny Cisco that the Benjamin Cisco uh, storyline is ended and I can understand that I can understand that but that doesn't mean that the Cisco story needs to end you know um, there's a in, in one of those non-linear moments um, um, the prophet says to to you know Sarah says to 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 Ben you know the Cisco still has many tasks she's not necessarily talking about Ben. You know? Um, so I'll just leave that at at, at that, you know? <laughs> All I have to
1: say to that is, wow, I hadn't really thought of that, but <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Cisco could be a, a Jake Cisco story or a somebody else Cisco.
2: Because they're nonlinear, right? Yeah. So for her, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about, like, the prophets and the way they think and, you know, the Cisco could, it can mean lots of, it can mean lots of different things, you know? And so you can look at those three scenes that I wrote and you can get a lot from that because it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be Ben, you know, you still have Jake Cisco um, and he's part profit. He is legit part profit, you know, it's in his DNA. So there's still many tasks out there. So.
0: Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. So, well, one, Derek, uh, Appreciate you joining us Uh, so much fun as always to, to get to, to pick the brains of the authors of star Trek books. And so thank you for the book and, and everything too. But as always, um, let everybody know you know where can people find you and follow you and of course you know see what you know you've got coming up obviously we'll be releasing this the the day the the book is dropped so everybody can listen to it um so yeah let people know you know where they can pick up a copy of this and what else you might have coming up
2: uh, down the road Thank you very much, Matthew. Um, it's I say I I really enjoyed this conversation. I could go on with you guys for hours. <laughs> oh, so could we. <laughs> right, right. It's really, really great, great conversation. Um uh the book uh drops um next Tuesday, um, a week from today, um, November 21st. It's available uh pretty much worldwide anywhere that you uh purchase books. It could be pre-ordered now. Um uh, I, I say pre-order and you'll get it sent to your house. That's the, that's the easiest way I think, you know, or if you want to go to a bookstore, you might want to call and find out if they're going to, if they're going to carry it most will, but you want to make sure before you go. Um, as for me, I can be found at um, social media, the D-Attico, D-A-T-T-I-C-O on um, X Twitter or Twitter or whatever it's called now, um, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, um, um, TikTok, all those places. The Attico is where you can find me. Um, my website is Derek Um, I'll be doing some conventions. It looks like I might be doing a con next month and I'll be posting about that. And, um, next year, of course, I'll be doing, um, shore leave and, um, uh, trek uh, a few Trek conventions I'll be posting all about that. And um, I'll be, you know, writing as much as possible and some stuff I'm working on, but nothing I can really talk about. And, you know, um, hopefully, uh, well, I don't know if I'll be doing any, any, any Trek stuff on uh, next year. We'll see. Um, but I'm happy to talk to anybody on social media. If they just uh, give me a shout out at um the Awesome.
0: Well, again, uh- as always you know it's a, it's always a pleasure for us to 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 be able to to get the time of the authors you know and and so thank you for for spending time with us and i really do I, in all honesty i hope everybody will pick up this book as a huge deep space mind fan it's a joy to read and uh, it seems like you know perfect gift for the holidays
2: absolutely it's yeah yeah right i mean thanksgiving is uh, it comes out on the 21st thanksgiving that same week christmas is right after you know and and you can any any uh form of trek you know any trek that you like um i got something for everybody in there as you guys can probably attest to you know there's there's lots of different uh trek in there not just deep space nine so you know this there's a lot of easter eggs and and cameos in the book so absolutely well thank you derek this has been great yeah, thank you, thank you both, Casey and Matthew. Thank you, I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's always great to get a chance to meet with uh, an author of our favorite Star, Star Trek books. It's um, it's an honor to have them really, and I'm I'm glad that we've gotten a chance to to talk to Derek about this one, the the autobiography of Cisco, because you know, like. <laughs> I'm sure we've mentioned numerous times that we've both been looking forward to this one for a long time. So, um, you know, I I look forward to see what Derek's got coming in the future and, uh, you know, lo- would love to see more Star Trek from him.
0: Yeah. And it's 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 so interesting, too, because I feel like uh, whereas so many of these autobiographies are, you know, you already know the entire story. And and yet I, I feel like with Cisco, There's just so much we don't know about him as a character, even though we spent seven years with him. And I think Derek did such a phenomenal job of filling in all of those time periods we didn't know anything about, really, that were only hinted at in the series. And that's exactly what you would want from this. And, I mean, I think, like you, Casey, you know, this is um, a book that I absolutely loved, you know, and could not recommend it more to everybody, especially as we hit the holiday season here. You know, if you're needing Christmas gifts or whatnot for somebody, like I, and they're a Star Trek fan, there you go, you got this, and you got the uh, making of Star Trek 2, So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot that come, a lot that came out this year. Awesome. Well, hey, you know, if anybody wants to catch up with you, Casey, uh, where you know might they find you and see what else you've got going on?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Goodreads, Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram at knitting trekkie, And then you can also find me poking around on Facebook in the Babel Conference.
0: And, of course, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, You can also find me here on the network uh, doing a bunch of other shows. Of course, the 602 Club, talking about all of our franchises we love outside of Star Trek. Then Literate, then The Orb, Warp 5, Saddle Up and The Artificial Tango. Uh, You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with a couple of shows. One's completed called Owl Post, talking about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time, and aggressive negotiations with John Mills. We're talking about Star Wars each and every week. But as always, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.